welcome to the Flora Fauna Foca podcast. My name's Elsie. And my name's Ramit. And we are going to be talking about folktale and animals and plants that relate to those folktales today. We will be continuing our Brothers Grimm season with the story of the six swans. Uh, but to begin, we are bringing this podcast to you from the traditional territory of the Nitsitapi, or the Blackfoot Confederacy, which is the Gainai, Siksika, and Bigani nations, the Iathka Nakoda, or Stony Nakoda, which is the Wesley, Bearspaw, and Chiniki nations, the Tsutuna nation, and the Métis nation of Alberta Region 3. Before we begin, we'd like to let you know that our podcast sometimes touches on themes that are for mature audiences, and we don't recommend this podcast for listeners under the age of 12. Okay, I have a, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, this story that you're about to tell, does it have mature themes? It is a Brothers Grimm story, correct? Mm-hmm. So that usually means yes. Does that mean <laughs> yes today? There is a mean stepmom in this story. And there is a unhappy end for some characters, but it's not as bad as the juniper tree. If you've listened to our previous episodes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So this story that we're talking about today, the six swans, it's in the Arne Thompson Uther folktale index. Uh, It's type four, five, one, which is a story of the format the maiden who seeks her brothers so there are other stories including in the brothers grim oeuvre that kind of encompass this as well so you might know this story as the six swans the 12 wild ducks um, Udea and her seven brothers the wild swans and the seven ravens so there's lots of different versions of this story oh my goodness that is i don't i didn't count that but there's like five of them there or something <laughs> Yeah, so the six swans uh, starts with a king who has seven children. So this king has six sons and a daughter. Uh, The daughter is the youngest child. And he loves them tremendously. Their mother passed away. She is uh, now dead. And he's a, a widower. And one day he's out in the forest hunting and he's chasing after this wild beast and none of his attendants are able to follow him in the forest because he just runs so far ahead of everyone and he gets lost and he's lost in the forest and he doesn't know how to get back to the castle and he comes across this old woman, spooky old woman in the forest. Wait a second. I know something about old women and old fairy tales. (laughs) What do you know? Oh, don't trust them. Especially don't trust their food. It can go either way. Sometimes old ladies and fairy tales, it's like if you don't take their food, you turn into something bad. Or if you do take their food, something bad happens to you. There's no winning when it comes to old ladies and fairy tales. Like something bad's going to happen. Yeah. There is just a sign of portent. <laughs> yes. Okay. So there's this old lady in the woods and she is out there and he's asking her if she's able to help him find his way back to the castle. And she says, yeah, of course I can help you. But on one condition, I have this beautiful daughter. And if you marry her and make her your queen, I'll happily help you out of the forest. But if you refuse, you will wander in the forest forever and die. Oh, 
<laughs> so this king is like, uh, I guess I'll marry your daughter. So he follows her back to her little hut where there's this beautiful woman waiting who's her daughter. Mm-hmm. And she looks like she's expecting him. And uh, he takes her on his horse and takes her to the castle and soon they marry. So she's she looks like she's expecting him as in she's like in in a wedding dress. <laughs> <laughs> no, all it says is that like she seemed to be expecting him. And uh, while she was very beautiful, he couldn't look at her without a secret horror. OK, so. Uh, he, he senses that there's something off about her, even okay. though she's very beautiful. And they get married. The wedding is celebrated. Um, but he worries about this lady. Like, he feels off about her and worries that she's going to hurt his kids. Wait, why? So, as with some of the other Grimm's fairy tales we've discussed, these are all taking place within a society where men inherit everything. Mm. So if there are sons from previous marriages, they inherit everything and the second wife or the daughters don't inherit a, a thing. They're sort of existing on the benefaction of their their brothers or their brothers-in-law or their brothers. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so... Um, that's kind of behind the trope of the evil stepmother is that like she's looking out for herself because those boys from previous marriages will inherit everything and she'll be left penniless after her husband dies. So the king fears that his new wife will harm his kids. And so he sends them into the forest and sometimes visits them. So he takes this like enchanted ball of yarn from this wise woman and when he like throws it on the ground it unravels ahead of him and shows him the way to this castle where his kids are kept and that's the only way to get there and sometimes he disappears and his evil wife wonders what happens to him and uh, she is suspicious that he's going to visit his kids can i interject of course so it is decided now that she is evil it is not like a question it is she is his evil wife (laughs) um you know this story was probably written by men the brothers (laughs) were brothers i'm just saying maybe we should question it (laughs) uh she does some questionable things so she is trying to find out where her husband's going and so she watches in secret while he is unraveling this ball of yarn and she comes up with this plan where she's going to weave these shirts and she put a charm in each of them and these shirts will transform children into swans. And she's like, oh, my problem solved. Okay. So one day when the king was uh, busy, she takes his magical ball of yarn and uses it to find this castle where the kids are. And she shows up in her carriage and the kids all see this carriage arrive and they think it's their dad. And so all the kids run out. This evil queen lady throws these magical shirts over all the kids that she sees and each of them turns into a swan. 
And so she puts that over the six brothers and she's like, oh, that must be all the kids. And so she leaves. And the daughter who didn't run out of the castle is the only one left in her human form. Oh, okay. So the next day when the king comes, he asks, like, what happened? Like, why are you the only one here? Where are your brothers? And the daughter is weeping and telling him they've all been turned into swans. Something terrible's happened. And he asks his daughter to come home with him. Like, like I, I can't leave you here. You're in danger here. And the daughter is worried about her evil stepmom and begs the king to let her stay another night in the forest castle. So she spends the night there and lost in her thought, she's thinking, oh, like my brothers, they must be in so much trouble. I have to go help them. I can't stay here any longer. And so she runs away into the forest. And she walks the whole night and the next day without stopping. And then she finds this weird little cabin in the woods that has um, six little beds. And she creeps under one of the beds and lays there to sort of sleep. And then she hears this rustling sound and she sees all these six swans flying in through the window. Mm. And then they turn into her brother's. Oh, was the secret just that they have to take the shirt off? So the brothers were really excited to see their sister, but they're like, you can't stay here. This is a house of robbers. And we're only able to turn into our human forms for 15 minutes every day before we have to become swans again. And this house is usually occupied by robbers who would treat you poorly. And... The sister is weeping, being like, is, isn't there some way I can help you? Uh, can you not be set free? And the brothers are like, the conditions are really, really difficult. Uh, we've discovered that the only way is if you were to weave six shirts out of star flowers. And you can't speak or laugh for the whole time that you're spinning or weaving or making these shirts um, and if you were to utter a single word from your lips, all of your work would be lost. And so after 15 minutes, these brothers are turning back into swans and flying away. That's interesting that they knew that, that this was the way to turn back. But also, what is a star flower? Great question. So a star flower is an old name for borage. And okay. Borage being uh, a plant with like blue star-shaped flowers but there are other versions of this story that use stinging nettle the most common version of this story uses stinging nettle so she has to make nettle yarn with her bare feet or her bare hands and uh, weave these shirts for her brothers this would require a lot of flowers yes it it would require a lot of plants so it's usually made with like the stems that's where the fiber would come from um but the special thing about nettle would be that it would result in these like histamine stings on her hands and her feet. And so if she were to do that, it would be like very painful for She'd her. She'd constantly be hurting herself. Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. And star flower, like borage is kind of prickly and like uncomfortable, um, but it's also medicinal. So it has sort of, and it's shaped like a star. Mm. <laughs> There's other vibes around it. Um, but it's a very difficult process. And the brothers are like, don't worry about it. Like, 
we're just going to be swans now. <laughs> this would be like too impossible for you. And like, if you were to screw up, we'd be stuck like this forever. So be careful. <laughs> okay. I wonder how they feel about being swans most of the time. Human, uh, 196th of a day, you know, <laughs> it's sort of framed as like an unhappy way to be, but I don't know. There's worse things to be than swans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, uh, in this story, in all of the stories, the young girl decides that she wants to save her brothers, no matter how hard it's going to be. So she leaves the hut and seats herself under a tree and starts to gather all the plants that she needs and then makes them into fiber and starts to spin them and starts to weave. Um, and all of this time, she's not speaking, not laughing, um, not making any sound. And she's just like hanging out on this tree, living her life. And this king comes, this different king from this different kingdom. And <laughs> there are so many kings in these stories. I think it's <laughs> hilarious. Well, I mean, in the past, uh, uh, a kingdom was not like a large land mass. Often kingdoms were fairly small. Like a kingdom could be the size of a city mm-hmm. in today's day. Um, Probably smaller. And potentially smaller. And some of them were fairly close to one another. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not so far-fetched. But okay, a king arrives. Yes, with all of his hunting party. And they were out looking for some kind of animal, I guess. And he comes across this beautiful woman weaving in this tree and asks her who she is and what she's doing here and um, what she's up to. And she doesn't answer at all. Oh, good. She is really dedicated to her cause and she refuses to tell him. And he is enchanted by how beautiful she is and decides that he wants to marry her, (laughs) even though they haven't spoken at all. (laughs) Okay. And uh, I guess she kind of agrees. She's like, yeah, sure. Why Why not? But like in a nonverbal way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because Maybe- nonverbals were not included in in the, uh, the request from the brothers. Exactly. So like I guess she could nod or give some kind of assent. <laughs> Too bad she didn't know a form of sign language. Maybe she did know a form of sign language. Maybe that's how they communicated her and the king. So, no, according to the story, he wasn't able to really understand much. And there are some miscommunications later in the story that attest to the fact that they were not able to adequately communicate. Okay. So she was just able to sort of nod. Okay. (laughs) And uh, the king brings her back to the country that he runs and uh, decides to get married to her. And his mother is really unhappy about it. Because she's like, who is this lady? Why isn't she talking? You don't know anything about her. She could be crazy. And so she's uh, very upset. She's like, she is not worthy of a king. And uh, mothers are bad news in this story. Yeah. So she starts like spreading rumors about her daughter-in-law. And um, after about a year, her daughter-in-law has her first child. And the old woman... I guess the queen, uh, takes it away from her and smears her daughter-in-law's mouth with blood. What? So she's trying to frame her daughter-in-law 
as a baby eater. Yeah, yeah, cannibal, but specifically <laughs> baby cannibal. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. It was is blood enough to convince blood coupled with rumors so like she's spreading all these rumors it's like the queen is ate her own baby and um the king doesn't believe her uh the king is like no my wife would never do that and another year passes and the the maiden is quietly sewing her shirts busy doing her thing and uh she has another child and that child is also taken by the mother-in-law and her mouth is again smeared with blood can i wait 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 wait, wait. I, something just occurred to me so she's had two children mm-hmm. and she has not been speaking the whole time so when <laughs> she was going through labor pains she had to be silent oh <laughs> or at least it says specifies do not laugh or speak so well, she was definitely not laughing definitely not laughing um maybe screaming is exempt i don't know it could be (laughs) maybe she screamed her ascent that's how the king knew that she was okay with being his bride maybe he didn't know maybe this is again just the brothers being the brothers yeah they're like you can have you can have a baby silently right (laughs) (laughs) so she's framed again by the mother-in-law and the king isn't really able to defend her as much this time. And so he's like, I don't know, I guess she ate the baby. <laughs> and so he is sort of pressured into sentencing his wife to death. Oh. And so she is arrested and sentenced to death by burning at the stake. Is she able to retain her um uh material so that she can keep working on the shirts yeah she keeps on doing it until the very end and so when the day came for her to be executed she gathered up all of the shirts that she had and went to the stake and just before they were about to light the fire the six brothers came down for the 15 minutes that they were able to turn into humans and she throws the shirts over each one but the last one doesn't have the sleeve finished so she has five brothers who are now in their human form forever and there's a sixth brother who is in his human form except for swan wings oh hey we have to paint that (laughs) so there's a sixth brother who unfortunately doesn't have any arms he just has swan wings and She's finally able to speak, and so she's able to explain to her husband and to the whole kingdom, look, it wasn't me, I didn't eat my babies, it's your mom, she's a little nuts, she's trying to frame me for stuff because she doesn't trust me, she doesn't like me. Um, So she knew all along what was going on. Yes, but she wasn't able to defend herself because she wasn't able to communicate with her husband would, properly wait i don't remember was she conscious when like she smeared the blood on her face i guess it would have been what, while she was sleeping she was sleeping okay yeah okay so after all of this she's able to explain herself she and the king reconcile their children are found and brought back to them and then the mother is killed in a very gruesome way Um, According to some of the stories, it kind of ends with 
the wicked mother was taken before the judge and put into a barrel filled with boiling oil and venomous snakes and died an evil death. Do you think the oil killed her or the snakes? <laughs> I, I would, I would say the, boiling oil. I would imagine the oil killed her and the snakes. Yeah, the snakes would have been dead if they were covered in boiling oil. I think, yeah, sometimes they overdo it in these old stories. That's too funny. Yeah. So in different versions of this story, sometimes there's six brothers. Sometimes there's 12 brothers. Sometimes Is there always one sister? There's always one sister. Okay. And she's always the youngest. And she's always the hero. Always the hero. And she's always having to weave silently without laughing or speaking. Okay. For years. And she always has to prepare things for her brothers, usually shirts, out of some kind of difficult plant. Okay. Um, sometimes it's the king who exiles the brothers. Sometimes it's the evil stepmother who sentences the brothers to their swandom <laughs> or their ravendom. Um, the brothers are sometimes ravens. The brothers are sometimes swans. But at the end of the story, it's always this uh, maiden who's about to be lit on fire and her brothers are saved. And then she's able to explain herself and her mother-in-law dies. Mm. Okay. Yeah. But there is a, a decent amount of uh, variety there in terms of like the small changes in the story. Yeah. Sometimes the plant that she's making the shirts out of changes. Sometimes the sister is responsible for the change of her brothers. So in some of the stories, there's 12 lilies that are growing outside of the house that she's staying in with her brothers. And when the maiden harvests those lilies, then her brothers change into birds. Let's talk about these stories. Are they all... My first question is, are they all German? They're all European. They're all European. Yeah. Okay. Do you feel like elaborating on that? Um, well, the, these stories traveled throughout the continent of Europe and they changed over time. Um, the first time that I encountered this story was in a compendium of fairy tales uh, put together by Eric Carl. Okay. Um, and it was a slightly different version of this story. So... Um, yeah. But the Brothers Grimm only have the one version. Is that right? The Brothers Grimm have this story. So the story of the six swans. And they also have the story of the 12 brothers. Oh. And they t tell it almost the same way as as uh, earlier described. They The stories vary in the way that I have described. Hmm. So in one of the stories, it's the king who exiles the brothers he says if i have a daughter all of my sons will be killed and so the mother is worried about losing her 12 sons and so she sends them out into the forest uh, to await the news of whether it's a daughter or a son interesting and then when she has a daughter the brothers stay in the forest so they don't die that's a pretty big change actually because it it, it swaps like who the evil person is mm -hmm. um yeah yeah and so this, this maiden in this story, she grows up like thinking she's an only child. And then she finds these 12 shirts and she's like, who do these shirts belong to? And the mother tells her these all belong to your brothers. 
And so she decides to set out and discover who her brothers are. <gasps> I like that version better. <laughs> hey, I mean, yes, the king is a sociopath this way. <laughs> However, uh, I, yeah, the story's uh, got a new fun wrinkle to it. Mm-hmm. And for this one, um, yeah, the, the sister goes out into the forest and these brothers all kind of hate women because they're like, because this girl was born, like we all had to leave home. And they're like, we, we just like, we're so mad at like all girls. <laughs> oh no. And so the youngest brother uh, manages to convince them not to harm their sister. And they sort of reconcile and they live together for a while. And then the sister harvests the 12 lily flowers and the brothers are turned into ravens. And so then she undertakes this journey where she has to be quiet for years while weaving twice as many years right because it's 12 as opposed to six she has to make yeah as twice as many shirts so okay where um she delivers the version you told uh, she delivers two babies mm-hmm. she has two babies yeah and they get taken away where do they go do they come back yes so they're secreted away by the mother-in-law mm-hmm. and then they are returned uh to her when they reconcile with each other. And then the the queen is is killed in a gruesome way. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It is kind of funny that she's killed in a gruesome way cuz it seems like they have uh like some sort of a custom to uphold in their stories. <laughs> like we have to fit in some gratuitous violence somehow. So let's do this at the very end of the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So this story talks about uh, swans in some of the versions or ravens in some of the other versions. And it made me think of an Aesop's fable uh, called um, the Raven and the Swan. Oh, that kind of connects the two. So this is, a, to me, a very sad story, uh, but it's a short one. So um, Aesop was an ancient Greek storyteller. Um, could have been a name for multiple people or one person. We aren't really sure. Um, and all of his stories were about animals on the surface, um, but those animals represented certain human behaviors or actions. So there's a way of talking about people, but indirectly. Hmm. Um, and so this story was about this raven who had really beautiful, shiny black feathers and a really useful beak that could eat lots of different kinds of food and a smart brain and these little like perching feet. But this raven looked at this swan who was swimming around with its white feathers and thought that this swan was very beautiful um, with its white feathers and wanted white feathers itself. And so this raven was thinking, this swan must be white because it's spending all this time in the water. The water must be washing away the color and its feathers. And so the raven decided to swim as well um, because it wanted to look like the swan. But the raven wasn't very good at swimming. It didn't float very well. And none of its food was in the water. And after a while of living like this, the raven perished. And this story is often framed as a moralistic story where the moral is 
you can change your behavior, but not your character. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of the interpretations of this story, the raven is often cast as being foolish for wanting to be other than what it is. But to me, like the obvious interpretation is like, well, this is kind of like kind of racist. You have this like beautiful blackbird that is for some reason uh, convinced that it should be other than what it is, is this white bird. And like, to me, I'm like, well, who's telling this raven that it's not okay to be a raven? <laughs> it's definitely the way I heard it too. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't know if it's because of my own experience growing up a dark-skinned person in a predominantly white-skinned place. Um, but I feel like uh, the raven's desires are very, uh, very, uh, yeah, believable and probably fairly normal if that's the case if if we are reading this correctly um could they have done it the other way around so it wouldn't have had the same feel to it like maybe the swan what do ravens do that swans don't do uh swans would be pretty bad at perching in trees and like bad at like cracking open nuts or other kinds of things like the swan in the same position would probably struggle Okay, so goes into a tree and just like sits there for a long time and perishes. <laughs> I guess so. Wouldn't be able to to eat many of the things that the raven eats. Um, but yeah, this story I felt like very sad, but also like very relatable. Like I think everyone has something about themselves that they feel should be other. Absolutely. You know, like like something about themselves that are like, why can't I be normal? Like, why can't I be like this other person or like everyone else and yeah like it's not the raven's fault it's it's whoever's telling the raven that what you are isn't enough or Mm -hmm. that what you are isn't okay so love your beautiful black feathers black is beautiful (laughs) yeah it's the struggle between um i guess maintaining your individuality within a collective but you still you know we're social beings and you still want to fit in of course you want to be an individual you want to be separate and distinct but you want to fit in Mm -hmm. you don't want to be an outcast isn't that um the ugly duckling i know we're not gonna we're not gonna tell (laughs) everybody knows that story um maybe a future season i suppose it could come (laughs) They would have tied well with the Aesop uh, story. Mm. What was it called? The Raven and the Swan? Uh, yeah, The Raven and the Swan. Oh. And in a sense, it kind of ties in with this story too. Um, you can imagine for this this brother who has these swan wings and he's not completely human and not completely swan, that like the rest of his life will be difficult. And Yeah, they don't come back on that. Do, no. do they? They don't. Um, does he have a 15 minutes of the day where he <laughs> turns into full swan or something? No, no, he's forever stuck human. in between because she wasn't able to finish his shirt. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the brothers were fairly close and the sister was definitely close with them because mm. of her sacrifice. Mm. Uh, I would imagine that I would hope anyway, that the seven of them would be able to come up with a solution to um, to not make that uh, disability. And maybe he can fly. Maybe. Maybe these are like 
That'd be really cool. Uh, maybe these are um, like, like stronger, like, like human larger. sized exactly. swan wings. Human sized swan wings. <laughs> um. Yeah, it could be like the messenger for their castle or whatever. <laughs> yeah. The palace messenger. Yeah. <laughs> he could yeah. go on the road, the one man show. <laughs> Feel like my life is a swan. Give comedy, comedy <laughs> shows. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do they symbolize normally? Okay, so I have some books here. So ravens have a whole lot of symbolism around them. Um, in ancient Norse mythology, uh, Odin had two raven familiars. So there is Hugin and Munin. Hugin and Munin. Hugin and Munin. Okay. <laughs> and they were um, ravens that would uh, tell him what's happening in the world. They were like his uh, daily news service. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so every morning uh, they would fly around the world and see everything that was happening and then come back and whisper in his ears the goings on. So they were symbols of wisdom and symbols of knowledge. They were also very associated with war and death because as scavengers, they tend to appear in times of plague or war. Mm. And especially after the bubonic plague in Europe, ravens got a really bad rap. <gasps> because of the masks, the plague masks? No, because of their association with death. But that's oh. why they were used as the plague masks. Because it was sort of like you're going into the pit of death. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they, they, they would stuff the beak of the raven masks with various scented herbs. Like sage was a big one. Mm -hmm. Or yarrow and other kinds of things. And a lot of those plants had antiseptic properties, as well as putting distance between the doctor and the patient, mm. much the way that medical masks do. And so it was believed at the time that the smell protected the doctor, that like diseases were caused by bad smells. But it was actually sort of like the antiseptic properties of the plants and the distance. That's so cool. So really what you're saying, though, is it was the raven. <laughs> The shape of the mask. The ravenous mask. Now we have to redefine the word ravenous. Like it was a ravenous. It was shaped like a raven. Uh, there's a children's yeah. book about uh, how the raven got its beak or something. Yeah, there's so many different legends. Um, in a lot of stories, they're understood as tricksters. And many uh, cultures sort of see them as like, yeah, like what what brings certain things to humanity. So... In some stories, it's like what brings light to humanity or what brings wisdom to humanity. That's so cool. Um, cool. I'm excited to learn more about ravens. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of interesting folklore. Um, and swans. I'm, uh, while you're looking that up, swans, are they basically exactly like geese, but they're prettier like you know would a swan walk across your path and then you'd be like oh i don't want to cross that bird <laughs> would they hiss at you if you got close to them yeah swans and geese are cousins so they're in the same uh yeah genus that's fun and yeah very aggressive very territorial um 
both the male and the female are very similarly shaped. Um, they have the same sort of plumage, and that's because they share duties. So when birds look alike, which is true of geese, swans, geese, ravens as well. Oh, ravens um, too. They tend to be cooperative. So they tend to share territory, uh, guarding, raising of nestlings, uh, incubation of eggs. So when when birds look alike, that means they do similar jobs. And when they look different, they do different jobs. Oh, that's so cool. Interesting. Yeah. Um, do you have a preference? Ravens, swans? Oh, ravens all the yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. They're fascinating and like mischievous and clever um and sometimes they scold you sometimes they get they're like they'll make noise to let you know that they don't like you there but they don't like hiss at you and do that weird neck thing that's once a geese do i love it elsie is a team raven <laughs> what about you i think they're cooler too i i i always got the sense that they'd be kind of like geese and yeah they're they're pretty and, and actually i don't mind geese i think they're fine um but uh there is something i don't know magical about ravens yeah mm -hmm. it's because uh, they're they're common but they're not that common and it it seems like they have some sort of um authority that they carry themselves with amongst you know over here we have crows and we have magpies and we have like little birds that hang out in bushes and stuff <laughs> but then you have when the raven comes everybody respects the raven yeah yeah the, the raven definitely represents something that's observant and wise or crafty hmm. um the raven and maybe other corvids too are birds that watch you back yeah. So when you're a, a bird watcher, you might be looking at birds and like little sparrows and stuff. They, they might see you as a threat perhaps, but it doesn't seem like they're noticing you in the same way that ravens do. And there's been lots of research about corvids and their ability to recognize human faces, hmm. which is incredible. When you think about like, can a human recognize a raven face? No. no. <laughs> at least most of us can't, unless we're being very very observant um but the average raven could recognize oh that's that's ramit walking down the yeah, street quoth the raven that's that's elsie <laughs> so um yeah they're really fascinating birds cool okay so i too did a little bit of research on swans and ravens uh Ravens were really difficult to find information on without accidentally stumbling upon sports teams. So I, I tried to find information pertaining to a country. And Elsie, did you know that ravens are uh, fairly important in the country of Bhutan? I did not. No? Well, what do you know about Bhutan? Just as much as any North American does. <laughs> Which is to say not a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, they have a happiness index and they have a king who's like one of the younger kings in the world. It's a Southeast Asian country. Yeah. So 
for listeners, maybe I can save you uh, a Google Maps trip. Bhutan <laughs> is directly between India and China. So it's northeast of India, southwest of China. To its west is Nepal, but they don't share a border. There is a little strip of land that belongs to India that, that juts across where the border would be, but they're very close to each other. And then, of course, south of Bhutan is Bangladesh. So that gives you an idea of, of the region. And also, you know, we're talking about places, namely India and China. They're very storied countries. There's been a lot of uh, human history in that region of the world. And of course, Bhutan being caught in the middle of that uh, today would have been part of it as well. So why am I talking about Bhutan if I'm talking about ravens? Do you, do you, are you curious? <laughs> well, I guess it'd be, it'd be a mountain country. And so ravens are a big part of the scavenging ecosystem of mountains. So apparently they're found pretty much everywhere in Bhutan. And I didn't know that, uh, yeah, they, they do very well on that kind of terrain. What I get out of that is they're fairly resilient uh, from a habitat perspective. Mm-hmm. Generalists. And... Maybe that's why there's a strong relationship between Bhutan and the raven. So the king of Bhutan wears a crown that has a raven at the very top of it. So the way this crown looks is it's imagine like a red sort of like satin uh, dome. And then um, the brim of the hat is like this vertical sheet that wraps around this dome. And it's, it's a black strip that wraps around that has like golden swirls painted onto it or stitched onto it and um these these faces as well across it it's it's very beautiful and then of course the very top of it has has a raven head and the raven head actually has this uh this little uh, crown itself i guess it's oh. it's almost like a like a little trident sticking out of its head oh it's a, like a pretty a pretty raven isn't that just <laughs> it? yeah I don't know about the general population's relationship with the raven. It's important to mention that I'm just talking about the king wearing this crown. But it is the national bird of the country. And it is associated with uh, Mahakala, which is a, a protector deity common to both Buddhism and Hinduism, which both would have gone through the region. And uh, Buddhism is is still quite prevalent there. I would imagine Hinduism is too. I don't know for sure. However, this this deity, it, it's actually different in both of those religions. So in Buddhism, it's a protector of, of Dharma. And then in Hinduism, it is a manifestation of Shiva. So of course, knowing what this symbolizes from a religious perspective can give you a sense of what this might mean to the people of the country more broadly. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's really cool to think that a raven can be thought of as an evil sort of bird in some places and then thought of as this like protector mm-hmm. in, in another place. Yeah. Confronts our dualistic thinking. <laughs> <laughs> 
So um, from what I saw online, ravens in Bhutan are considered symbolic of power, protection, as I said, wisdom, and, and other things as well, but only good things. They're seen as playful. And I think it's probably fair to say that they are playful. Yeah, there's been lots of studies about ravens and crows and other corvids like playing, like sliding down the roof on little like crow made toboggans and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Or like teasing dogs for fun. Uh, I can never tell when they're teasing um, or, you know, something else. (laughs) You can tell sometimes like I think that bird's yapping at me, but I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. So there was another bird that we talked about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you do you remember what it was? <laughs> the swans. And it's black, right? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> so I did not know that black swans were real. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I definitely thought that they were um, a, a piece of fiction. The the black swan, the uh, the ballet, I guess, is. From My, Swan Lake? Oh, you're right. It's called Swan Lake, but it has a black swan in it, right? Yes, But yes, it's it does. just a dancer. It's not an actual swan. Yeah. And yeah, I thought that it was metaphoric as opposed to, I mean, it is, but I, I thought that this was a, you know, kind of like ugly du- duckling. Oh, but the ugly duckling is a real bird too. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I didn't think about it deeply enough but anyway they're real and they're largely found in southern australia like along the coast there so from learning that they're they're real i then learned well what's the relationship that australia has with this bird and of course because it's found there imagery that contains the black swan is common in australia it shows up on the Uh, official state emblem of Western Australia. It shows up in the coat of arms in some of the states and municipalities in Eastern Australia. It shows up in uh, lore coming out of the region. And as as far as I could tell, that's mostly uh, connected to the indigenous peoples of the region. And, uh, you know, there's a a whole bunch probably that that could come out of that but that's not my story to tell i just thought it was really interesting how much i mean if an australian person is listening to this podcast they're going to be like what of course this is real you didn't know this <laughs> i actually to go into that a little further there's um a theory called the the black swan theory because um all the way dating back to like the roman empire Black swan was sort of used as a metaphor for something that couldn't exist or didn't exist. And it was like, oh, like a black swan is just this imaginary thing that, um, or like your idea is like a black swan. It couldn't possibly exist. So it's like white whale. Yeah, sort of. But like there are albino whales and there are black swans. And so this this phrase was usually used to describe like impossible things or non-existent things. Um, and then in 1697, Dutch explorers went to Australia and were like, actually, there are black swans. <laughs> and this same phrase was used to describe things that we believed were true and then realized that they weren't true and the whole logic fell apart. So a black swan was used to describe like the linchpin of a flawed 
logical argument. Oh, it's shifted meaning that quickly? Well, over time. Um, mm. It was sort of used, um, I think John Stuart Mill was the one who introduced that in the 1800s. So is it, would it be like a, f a fallacy? A logical fallacy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So it makes sense that I guess you, you thought they didn't exist because for so long, that's what people said. Yeah, I need to get with the times and follow more current <laughs> current news sources, hey? Uh, but yeah, black swans are really beautiful, like big black birds with beautiful red beaks. Um, yeah. And sometimes they do hang out with other birds, like if they migrate funny and end up in like a area with like mute swans or trumpeter swans and stuff. It does so happen. We talked about geese and swans earlier. Mm-hmm. So now I return to that and ask, I mean, black swans, my understanding is that they are a, uh, a kind of swan. Mm -hmm. So would it be the same for them? Would they be happy to hang out with geese? Yeah, sometimes they do. So um, there are instances where birds will usually migrate a certain way. And every now and again, they end up going 180 degrees in the opposite direction. So it's really rare to see a bird go like 90 degrees in the wrong direction or like 20 degrees in the wrong direction. It's usually like the right way or the absolute wrong way. <laughs> and so sometimes birds migrate in the opposite direction and end up where they're not supposed to end up. Do we know why they go 180 degrees instead of 90 or 45 or 23 or whatever? Uh, it's believed that it's because they use magnetic fields to to navigate and so if something about how they're using the magnetic fields is messed up then they they go the opposite direction hmm. yeah that's all i had i didn't find a, a whole lot but i again very privileged to learn a little bit more about bhutan i want to learn more and uh yeah maybe in the future we can do like uh uh i don't know uh like a country series <laughs> or, or uh, something like that, you know, like where we go, uh, each episode is a new country and a new species in that country or something. I don't know if we'll do that. Anyway, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just thinking out loud. It sounds kind of exciting. We are thinking of having special guests who can introduce us to some <gasps> things from different parts of the world. Um, so instead of us going there, they come here, <laughs> get the country to come to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, um, I think what's cool about this is that we've learned uh, about white swans and black ravens and black swans. Um, there are also albino ravens. Um, there is a story about the raven and the swan and how you learn to love the feathers you have. Kind of Aww. the cost of being inauthentic, I guess, is like be, be your true self. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think we can take that away today <laughs> love the feathers you got love the feathers you got <laughs> and uh with that yeah see you next time thank you for listening